You may be seated for our scripture. Our focus is found in Numbers chapter 21. People grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, and we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look on it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone who was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. Good morning. Uh, glad the Lord's brought you here today and glad that, uh, that you've survived the heat so far. Um, in theory, it's going to break, we hear, right? Uh, but, um, but it gives us something to grumble about, right? The weather gives us something to grumble about. In fact, um, if you've been grumbling about the weather, then you are preparing for the sermon this morning, right? Because this morning is about uh, something we can identify with, with, it, with, with which is grumbling. Um, and, and again, let's be honest, we, we do this pretty well, right? Uh, some might say it's like our, our national pastime, that we like to grumble. We grumble in the, in this, when it's wintertime, we grumble that the weather is so cold. And in the summer, we grumble that it's hot. And, uh, and, and I think maybe if we would just have like a day of, of summer in the middle of winter, you know, we just have a 90 degree day, then we would all appreciate the cold weather a little bit more. And if we could maybe have just like a day or a day and a half of snow in the middle of the summer, then we would all remember that it's not so bad when we're warm. Right, but, uh, but that might not cure our, our grumbling at all. And um, we started thinking about grumbling and you think about little kids. If you, uh, if you raised children, if you are raising children, or if you remember when you were a child, you remember um, grumbling, right? And, and kids can find something to grumble about all the time. I know my kids can grumble. They'll be holding a cookie in their hand, right? And the cookie that's on the plate is bigger than the one they have in their hand and they will grumble about it. Right? Or it's a different flavor and I want that flavor. And as a parent, you just kind of want to pull your hair out, right? And you're just kind of in the situation where you're like, just be thankful for the cookie you have. Right? But, but we do this. We, we grumble. Right? We, we grumble about the things that we have. We grumble about the things that are around us. We grumble about the things we don't have. We grumble about the weather. We grumble about things we can't control. We, we kind of grumble a lot, even in light of our first world problems, right? We think about the things that we have. Um, an old timer that I knew in Arizona, his, fram, his family and friends used to call him quite a bit, and they would, you know, when it was hot in the summer, and they would say, you know, well, well what's the temperature there, Dad? What's the temperature there, Grandpa? And he would always say, 75. 
They'd go, oh, no, we were, just, we were just listening to the weather, and it's 115 there. And he would say, well, where I'm sitting, it's 75. <laughs> right? That, that's the wonder of having stuff like air conditioning, being able to survive in situations like that. But we still grumble. And here's the deal. Here's why grumbling matters. Grumbling denies God's providence. Right? God's providence is that characteristic with which he provides all the things that we need. If you, if you know our catechism, catechism says God provides everything that we need to sustain this daily life. Right? He gives us our daily bread. He gives us the breath in our lungs. He gives us all of these things. And as he gives us these things, that's God's providence. That's his provision for us. And grumbling denies God's providence. And it says that we want it our way. We want the things that we want. And as we do, if we don't get them, then we're going to grumble, right? Now, grumbling is not new for people, and it's not new even for God's people. So we turn to Numbers 21, which Jonathan just read for us a minute ago. Numbers 21 is a picture of God's people grumbling against him. And we should ask, we should ask the question as we hear about the Israelites, what do they have to grumble about? But before we start asking that question of somebody else, we first have to apply it to ourselves, and ask that same question, what do we have to grumble about? God provides what we need. God provided for the Israelites. In fact, if you remember what's happening, we're in Numbers chapter 21, right? This is during the time when Israel is traveling in the wilderness. They have left captivity in Egypt, right, where they were enslaved, God has rescued them, has redeemed them out of slavery in Egypt. They are now out wandering in the desert. Their leaders have sinned, and so they are, they are wandering what will end up being for 40 years. They're taking this very circuitous route through the wilderness, but God is leading them the entire way. God has provided for them. What's the food they get in the morning? Manna. Thank you. What's, what's the meat that they get? Quail. That's a little bit, that's a silver star question for, this, for today. All right, quail. Right? God provides that for them. God brings them water. In fact, just a little bit before this is the time when Moses had brought forth water from a rock. He hadn't done it exactly the way that God had told them to. And so as a result, their leader Aaron died. And so the people of Israel have gone through this traumatic event where one of their leaders, Aaron, the spokesperson for God, the mouthpiece for God, has died on the mountaintop. They've spent 30 days grieving his death. But when they were done grieving, God had provided a new leader. His name was Eleazar, one of Aaron's sons. God had provided a new leader, a new spokesman for them, so that his word would still be spoken among the people. God had provided for them. And as they were taking this route, they had come to a place called Edom. They had asked for permission to go through Edom, and the king of Edom had told them, no, we won't let you pass through. And they had pleaded with the king of Edom, please let us go through. We don't want to go around. It's too long for our people. And he told them, no, if you come through, we will attack you. So then his people had taken a different route. And that's where we pick up chapter 21. When the Canaanites, I'm sorry, when the Canaanite king of Arad, a different king, not the king of Edom, when the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to, uh, to Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. So they had gone around one king so as not to be attacked, but had gone directly into another king who had come out to attack them. And in this battle, they had lost. Right? The people of Israel had lost. Some of them were captured because of it. And so now you might say they have something to grumble about. 
They have a foreign king who has attacked them, has captured some of their people, and they can't keep going forward in the way that they need to go. This is a reason for them to grumble, but this isn't what they grumble about. Instead, in the midst of this, they call out to the Lord. They make a vow. If you deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. And now, this isn't the the sermon for today, but I just want to give you an explanation of what's going on here. Their explanation of we will totally destroy the city, the vow that they make to God. It seems a little unusual until you remember what's happening. God is leading them to the place where he wants them to go. The danger is if they win this war, if they beat this king, then suddenly all of his towns and cities lay vacant, which means that by right they belong to the Israelites because they have won the war. So the Israelites say, but God, if you let us win this war, We won't move into the cities and take over these people. We won't intermingle with them and become our own nation here. Instead, we will continue to follow your leading. That's the vow that they make. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them, which means they won. They got exactly what they asked for. God providing for them along the way. God giving them exactly what they needed. God continuing to provide God's providence on display. What did they have to grumble about? God gave them everything that they needed. and continued to lead them this entire time. What did they have to grumble about as they traveled through the wilderness? Now, I always find it fascinating that whenever... Um, whenever I preach on a text, God always, God always kind of places me in some of those things, some of those events. And so uh, for the better part of the last two weeks, uh, my family and I, we've been gone. We were up at the National Youth Gathering in Minneapolis where I was leading Bible study. A bunch of our people from church here uh, were up there as well. There are about 25 of us up in Minneapolis. And as, as we left that place, my family, we, um, we quick went west to Mount Rushmore. Um, and now uh, the reason I tell you this is because... Um, I'm thinking about the wilderness wandering of the people of Israel, and here we are driving across the exotic landscape of South Dakota, right? And I mean, I mean nothing as far as you can see. And, I, and I'll tell you, our family, we're in the car, we're, we're in the air-conditioned car, driving down the paved highway, where the speed limits are 80 miles an hour, by the way, that's awesome. And our concern is, how many stars does the Super 8 motel that we have booked on the other side uh, have, and will the breakfast be good? Right? And as you're traveling across South Dakota, you have to kind of think about all the settlers who went across the prairie in covered wagons. And you start to say to yourself, man, I got it pretty good here, don't I? 80 mile an hour speed limit, paved road, hot breakfast. What do I have to grumble about? What did the Israelites have to grumble about? God had provided for them so completely that their their shoes were not worn out while they wandered in the desert. God had provided everything that they need, and yet the the very next sentence, the people traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient along the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There's no bread, there's no water, and we detest this miserable food. There's no bread. Is that true? No. 
That's not true. There's no water. Is that true? No, it's not true. God has provided. And we detest this miserable food. In fact, they repeat back to God. You actually have given us stuff. We do have bread and water, but we don't like it. I have a cookie, but the one on the plate looks better. What do they have to grumble about? Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. This is justice. This is, this is God's justice on display and it's hard to read. It's hard for us to see the people getting what they deserve. It's hard to see this happening to the Israelite people, to the people of God. And, and it causes us to look at this story and to say, God, what are you trying to show us in this? And the first thing that we realize is that God is trying to show the Israelites his providence. He's trying to show the Israelites exactly what can be taken from them. And that these snakes were around them, and that he's been protecting them from them, and they didn't even know it. I knew another, another great saint of God, another great woman of faith, and she used to say all the time, if you asked her how she was doing, she would always go, well, I, I know God is with me because absolutely nothing happened to me today. Right? Now think about that. I, I know God is with me because absolutely nothing happened to me today. Usually the tack we take is, oh, I almost got in this car accident and I, I, instead I was protected from it. God was with me. Right? Or there was, this, there was this terrible thing that I almost got into and I didn't because God was with me. And her take on it was, there are a thousand things that could have happened to me today and none of them did because God was with me. And that's exactly what God allows Israel to see. That there are all sorts of things that they seem to have forgotten. That he has been feeding them, that he has been leading them, that he has been providing for them. And now a God, God is essentially saying to them, do, do you see what I've been doing? This is justice. God sends these serpents among the people. But it isn't easy to watch, is it? And I want to confess something to you today. I'm going to confess to you that, that this story in Numbers chapter 21... Uh, this is one of the ones that I really struggle to understand. This is one of those parts of the Bible that, that I can't really wrap my mind around because I, I look at this and I see the snakes going among the people and people dying because of the snake bites. And I, and I find myself saying, God, why didn't you just let them, why don't you take the food away from them for a couple of days and let them really experience hunger? Or, or God, why didn't, you, why didn't you just some other way allow them to see your provision? Why did, why did it have to be this way? Why did it have to be snakes going among the people. And not only that, but then I look at the solution and the serpent on the pole, and we're going to get to that in just a second, but what, what's the story with that? What does the serpent on the pole fix? And I'm reminded that it's God showing them his providence, that it's God responding to what they have been pleading to him, that's God allowing them to see all that he has done. But let's be honest, the solution is weird, right? Because this is what happens. The Lord sent the venomous snakes among the people. Many Israelites died. Then the people came to Moses and said, we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. And now I find this interesting because this is an important point of contact for us. This is an important point of contact for us. If you've been in a situation where you grieved your sin, if you've been in a situation where your head was hung low because of the things that you've done, 
then you probably understand what the Israelites did here. You see, when they needed God in the midst of the battle, they cried out directly to him. But in their sin, they simply couldn't turn toward God. They couldn't turn their faces toward him because they knew that they had offended him. And so instead, keeping their faces down, they turned to Moses and asked Moses to pray for them. What a privilege we have to be surrounded by brothers and sisters in faith. To know that in those times, to know that in those times when our heads are hung low in sin, that we can turn to our brothers and sisters. Not only that, the privilege that we have to be those brothers and sisters on whom others will lean and to say, yes, I will speak to God on your behalf. But not only that, to speak to one another this truth that you can speak to God even in the midst of your sin. That you can personally cry out to him. That you can confess your sins before him. The people confessed their sin to Moses. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on the pole and then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. It's a weird solution to me. I don't understand how having a bronze snake put up on a pole and looking at that bronze snake, I don't understand how that can heal anybody. Right? And in fact, I, I was reading one, uh, one pastor's writings about this. His name is Matthew Henry. And, and I haven't confirmed this, but he, he was saying there are actually some snakes that when you're bit, you are photosensitive. You're sensitive to light. And so in fact, looking at this burnished bronze snake on a pole lifted up toward the desert sun would actually cause pain to the people who had been bit by the snakes. And again, I think to myself, then how is that a way to heal? And why would God choose this solution? But here's what we learn. It's God's way. And what do the scriptures tell us? That God's plans are not our plans. That God's plans are higher than our plans. What do we see in this account? It's that God's solution usually works. Did I undersell that enough for you? God's solution always works. As peculiar as it might seem to us, it's exactly what cures the people. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on the pole, and when anyone looked at it, they were healed. You see, this is God showing his hand for the people. This is God showing what he is capable of. This is God's mercy on display the people not getting what they deserve. And this is God showing what his solution can bring and the healing that is possible even for a people who grumble against him. And as he shows this, we turn to the scriptures to understand it. And we look forward to John chapter three and just about everybody knows John three sixteen, right? But sometimes we might not know the verses immediately before it. John three fourteen and 15, this is what Jesus says to Nicodemus. Just as Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world. You see, this is God's solution. And God's solution 
always works. This is God's way to display that Jesus Christ would be lifted up on the cross for us and it would be equally inexplicable and incomprehensible to us why one man's death would matter for us. Why one man's suffering would bring us freedom. Why Jesus dying on the cross would restore us completely to the Father and bring us forgiveness and healing. But that's God's plan. That's God's plan so that we would be well. And one last thing in this, one last thing that I don't want you to miss, the very last sentence in this entire part of Numbers 21, it says this, then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. And we, we look at that and go, okay, yeah, that's the solution. But I want you to notice closely the words, then when anyone was bitten. You see, God didn't remove the snakes from the people, did he? He just gave them mercy. He gave them a way out. That's exactly what the cross of Jesus Christ has done for us. It has not removed venomous sin from our midst. Venomous sin which still bites us and grabs at us, which still seeks to attack us. God hasn't removed that from our midst. Instead, he has promised us that the solution is ever before our eyes. That what Jesus Christ has done to be lifted up for us is what will fulfill us, what will heal us, what will bring us forgiveness. Grumbling denies God's providence. God gives us all that we need to support this daily life. The breath in our lungs, the food that we eat, God leads us and gives us the gift of his presence every day. God feeds us spiritually that we might look to the cross and live. So brothers and sisters, what do we have to grumble about? In Jesus Christ, nothing. Praise be to him now and always. Amen.